Hello and welcome to the Curious Choice Leader podcast. I'm your host, Becca Prado, and it's time to step into your leadership one curious choice at a time. This show is dedicated to helping experts like you become the leader you want to be, to create working worlds that work for you, your business and everyone connected with it, whether it's your own business or someone else's. Let's talk about trust. It's one of those things that we instinctively know if it's there or if it's not. We know that without trust, we won't work effectively with others, we won't support our leaders, and we won't willingly purchase things from people we don't trust. So I probably shouldn't be surprised by the amount of information that's out there about trust. But a lot of it worries me, and as an advocate of growing high-trust working environments, I wanted to understand why. So I did what works best for me when I need to work things out. I got curious, I pondered for a while, I dug into my book collection, I tuned in to what people were saying a bit more, I drank coffee, and I walked my dog. Always a good combination for letting ideas brew nicely. Are you ready? It's time to get curious about trust and make some choices about how we can develop trust in our working relationships. For many people, trust is a bit of an abstract and loose concept. We know it's a good thing, but it can be hard to explain what trust actually is. Ultimately, it's about how believable we think someone is and effectively how much confidence we have in them. The level of trust there is in our working relationships matters. It impacts everything from how we delegate to how we communicate, how we lead, how we work with our customers and our suppliers, the number and type of controls we have in our business, to how we get results and ultimately to how profitable our businesses are. But how does that work? Well, the more confidence or trust you have in the person you're going to be working with, the quicker and easier it is to get things done. You're not going to spend as long checking what they have or haven't done, and communication is clearer and more effective when you trust the person you're talking to. In the book, The Speed of Trust, Stephen M. R. Covey and Rebecca R. Merrill share the idea of a trust dividend being applied in situations where trust is high and a trust tax being enforced when trust is low. They give the example of the time it takes to clear airport security. After the terror attacks of 9-11, the time it takes to clear security significantly increased as the trust declined thanks to the attacks. We see those trust dividends and taxes in operation around us all day, every day. When we work with people we trust, we can work quickly and get good results with very little bureaucracy. We benefit from that dividend. But when we work with people we haven't worked with before or who've let us down in the past, everything is harder. We want more controls in place and we pay a tax for that lack of trust. Given there's no doubting how important trust is to us, part of me is glad that so many people are talking about encouraging us to develop that trust. Where it starts to break down for me is in how people are talking about it and how actually some of the ways they're talking about it and developing it are fundamentally flawed. That's what's been bothering me about it and which, as a result of a conversation I had with Maggie at Small Business Boss about some of the things we were both seeing, I came to think of it as actually broken. In some of the examples we were discussing, the advice people were being given so they could manufacture trust to get people to buy things or to do things actually fundamentally erodes trust. With all the uncertainty in the world at the moment, there's a kind of longing to have something or someone we can trust and to be living with more trust in our relationships, both at home and at work. And when you're hearing that the thing you need to do is to manufacture trust to get more sales, to be a better leader, or to work better with your stakeholders, so to secure your future, you're going to listen. But instead, let's stay curious when we hear messages like this and question what we're hearing before we just accept it as fact. And let's keep making conscious choices. So here are some thoughts from me about trust and why some of the things we're being told about manufacturing trust actually erode it. 
Firstly, and fundamentally, you can't make someone trust you. If and how much they trust you is their decision, not yours. You can only create an environment that makes it possible for them to trust you by extending trust and trusting them first, and by making sure you behave in a way that is entirely trustworthy. Secondly, you can't manufacture trust. Trust is a living, organic thing. It ebbs, it flows, it lives and breathes as part of every relationship you have. And living things can't be manufactured. You can't make eggs, for example. Well, except Cadbury cream eggs, and those may be delicious to eat, but they never hatch. Yes, you can intensively farm to increase the quantity of eggs that you get, but when you do that, the quality of the eggs you get goes down. With trust, we need quality, and not just quantity, to sustain our relationships in the long term. It's a living thing that we're looking to grow, by nurturing it and by taking care of it. Manufactured trust has no foundations, and we know what happens when you build something without foundations. It's likely to fall really easily. And talking about building trust feels a bit better to me. At least there's an implication of those foundations being present, and it reminds us that it's a cumulative process. If you're looking to build trust, as all marketing gurus tell us to, remember that it needs to be built on strong foundations. So, what are the foundations of trust? For me, the best description comes from The Speed of Trust, where Covey and Merrill describe what they call the four cores, integrity, intent, capability and results. We need to model all four of those, demonstrating them as behaviours consistently for people to be able to trust us. Leave any one of them out, even for a while, and the roots of the trust that you're growing will be damaged badly, and the trust that you're growing will be damaged badly too. As with anything you're growing, being consistent in how you look after something's important. A plant won't do well if you give it a year's worth of water all at once. Keeping the water level consistent in the soil works much better for the plant. It's the same for trust. The first foundational core of trust is integrity. That is, being honest and then standing by your principles, even if there's a personal cost to you. It's doing what you say you'll do, when you say you'll do it. In the book, the authors give the example of the tennis player Andy Roddick, who was given a point when his opponent's shot was called out. That point would have given him the match, but he told the umpire the ball was good and the game continued. Roddick eventually lost that match, but his integrity was very much intact. Longer term, that meant that match officials knew they could trust his word on future line calls. Integrity starts with the little things. Do you keep your commitments to yourself? Do you get up in the morning when you say you will? Do you deliver the work you say you will, when you said you will? Are you a person of your word? Each time you are, each commitment you keep, you're building your integrity and making it easier for people to trust you. The second foundational core is intent. What are your motives for doing what you do? We're more likely to trust a charity whose motives are helping others than we are, for example, to trust a politician whose motive would seem to be power. It's another reason I'm sceptical about the concept of manufacturing trust and using it as a sales tactic. If your motive for developing the trust is self-serving, it totally erodes this foundational core. If the trust you've built is without this foundation, it will fall away quickly, which often leads to long-term damage in relationships. In the sales situation, this can be buyer's regret at having given someone your business. On a project, it could be stakeholders and users feeling resentful towards what's being implemented. And from a leadership perspective, it can lead to polarised factions appearing in your team. You can manage this foundation by checking your intentions before you act and sharing those intentions. When people understand your intent, why you're doing what you're doing, they're more forgiving should you act in a way they consider untrustworthy. The third foundational core is capability. This is about having the skills and knowledge to do what you do, and it's about using them and keeping those skills up to date. 
We trust people who have the capabilities we need and who use them appropriately. For example, you might have a friend who's an excellent chef and who's great with a knife. No matter how much you trust them when it comes to making you a meal, you're unlikely to trust them to perform surgery on you. Even though they have those great knife skills, you know they don't have the other capabilities a surgeon needs. We maintain our capability levels through continual learning, by being curious, by reading, by listening to podcasts, and by having great conversations with other knowledgeable people. We also learn by using what we learn, by actually doing. That builds our own trust in our abilities, as well as the trust of others. The final foundational core is results. We're much more likely to trust someone with a track record of getting results. That's why we need to look after the results we get when we work with people. It's also why we see a lot of inflated performance and results claims on people's CVs, on LinkedIn, on people and company websites. However, if you do inflate claims in order to demonstrate your result, you're compromising on that first core, integrity, and potentially taking out two pillars of your foundation. So suddenly being worthy of trust is looking very precarious and you're at serious risk of paying tax for a lack of trust. So in this episode, we've talked about how fundamental trust is to getting great business results. In high trust environments, we can make things happen quickly and with the minimal amount of process controls. We get a dividend in terms of our business performance. However, when the trust is low, we pay the penalty or rather an ongoing tax in terms of cost and motivation. We talked about how this is leading some people to encourage us to manufacture trust and why that simply isn't possible. We can't make people trust us and you can't manufacture something that's a living thing. We talked instead about how we need to make sure our foundations for being trustworthy are in place, how we need to focus on acting with integrity, making sure our intent is good and clear, on building our capabilities and on getting genuine results. Demonstrating to others that it's okay to trust us, that we're trustworthy is all about how we behave. And we'll look into that in a bit more detail in the next episode. The things I share in this podcast are based on my experiences. Some will be more relevant to you than others, and it's up to you to decide what you're going to do with them. My hope is that you'll find something you can take away and apply. But that's up to you, and that's exactly what being a curious choice leader is all about. Getting curious, building your understanding, and then making some choices about what's best for you, your team, and your business. So the question I'd like to leave you with is, what are you doing to build your strength in each of the four foundational cores of trust? Integrity, intent, capability and results. If you found this episode useful and thought-provoking, I would love it if you would subscribe and share it with others who you think will find it useful too. It would also be brilliant if you could leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about implementing these ideas, please get in touch and let's talk about how you can become an even better leader, one curious choice at a time. Visit thecuriouschoiceleader.com where you'll also find a full transcript of this and all our previous episodes. Thank you for listening and until next time, stay curious and I look forward to talking with you again soon.